Well, good morning. You know what? Y'all are going to be real miserable right here. So why don't y'all, you know, y'all want to move back a little bit because I'm going to move up a little bit because everybody's trying to get away from me. Uh, my arm is broken. It, it is broken. And uh, my wife said, I said jewelry. So uh, y'all, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Pastor Zach and Claire on a very needed vacation with all the McCann family. And we want to pray for them that, that they would be uh, encouraged. Come on, go, go right by. Thank you all so much. Don't you appreciate all the folks that serve and do worship? Come on, give them a big hand. These are the folks that make every weekend happen here in Crowley. And I'm going to tell you what my prayer is. As I sat here and got here early, along with one of our elders, Don Mendoza, who's here with me today. Uh, he was, he's my driver. I need a driver now. Um, but my prayer is that God, this would be the year God gives you your own building. Amen. Let me say it one more time. This is the year we're going to get our own building for OSC Crowley. So I want you to pray that way. I want you to believe that way. And, and I just want to say something else very, just, you know, I'm not a millennial. I don't know if you know that. Uh, I, I, I just turned 60, and uh, actually my, my grandson accidentally ran over me with a golf cart. He's five years old. And so uh, he didn't never turn around. Anyway, I, first broken bone in, I've ever had my whole life, and I'm 60 years old. So I say, thank God I got a grandson, and thank God I have a golf cart. And thank God I'm right-handed. Uh, although it is pretty interesting to get dressed this way and to shower and all those other things. And That'll be another sermon for another time. But I just really believe that God wants to do amazing things here. Let me say it one more time. I believe God wants to do amazing things in Crowley, Louisiana. And he's going to do it through people who see what others can't see and believe what others can't believe. He's going to do it through people who see what others can't see and believe what others can't believe. Let me tell you what you might not know. Many years ago, one of the first churches I ever preached at was Northside Assembly of God. The first time I ever came, Pastor Lloyd Singley was on the roof hanging shingles. And I made a commitment then that when we started a church, this was, we started 20 years ago, that we would never, ever, ever come to Crowley until he was no longer the pastor out of reverence and deference and respect for him. As a matter of fact, someone even gave us money to start a church in Crowley. It wasn't like a large amount. It was like $20,000. And, and, and we kept that and waited until the time many years later when y'all would start and God would raise up Pastor Zach and Claire to be the pastors here. But... I am so grateful for you, and I'm so thankful for your sacrifice, and those of you that are willing to serve, those of you that are willing to sacrifice, and those of you that are willing to give. Say that with me, give. I never mind asking people for money as long as it's for God. As a matter of fact, I've been on a tear asking people for money. I've asked six people for a million dollars. I have. In the last three months, I've asked six people for a million dollars, and only three said yes. 
Let me just say that one more time. I don't know. I said, I've been on a tear asking people for a million dollars. I asked six people for a million dollars, and only three said yes. Are y'all not excited about that? I mean, that didn't do anything for you? Why is that so important? Because that's the anointing that this house sits under. And God is going to give resources that y'all need, and it's going to come from people that are here and from people that you know so that we can build a church in Crowley that 50 years from now your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are still being blessed by. Good. Are you scared yet? Some of you, you ain't got a million dollars. It shouldn't bother you at all. You know what I mean? It's kind of like asking somebody for a cow. I'm asking people for cows, and you're going, I ain't got a cow. I'm in good shape. Don't worry. God will never ask you to give what you don't have, but he will ask you to give what you do have. And that's the joy of being a part of seeing God's kingdom advanced. I don't know if you know this, but there is a war on this book. It's manifested at a time like this during the year where people are mad at Christmas. Say that with me, mad at Christmas. Remember when we were kids and they had a guy that was mad at Christmas? What did we call him? The Grinch. The Scrooge. Remember him, Grinch, Scrooge? Why are they mad at Christmas and why are they mad at the Christ of Christmas? I mean, what did baby Jesus do 2,000 years ago? What message does this book have that, that causes people to go, we don't like that? There's something wrong with it. Is Jesus, like Mohammed, asking his followers to strap bombs on their body and go blow up people? Was it the angels said when they came, hide, a bomb is coming? Or did they say, peace on earth and goodwill towards men? Why is it that the message of this book and the Christ of Christmas is so controversial? Why is it that people think that this message is a threat to the one who said, love your neighbor as yourself? To the one who said, love one another as I've loved you. To the one who said, greater love has no man than this, than they lay their life down for a friend. What is it about this book that is such a threat to so many people? There's been an amazing decline in faith in America today. But before you can ever steal the person of God, the first thing that has to happen is someone has to steal the perspective of God. The perspective of God. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? You see, the enemy's first goal is not always denial. The enemy's goal isn't to say, hey, this isn't true. The enemy's goal isn't to say, Jesus isn't real. The enemy's first goal, just like it was in the garden, is to come and to sow a seed of doubt. Has God... Okay, I'm not stuttering, all right? When massive amounts of white people look at me like that, it reminds me of every teacher that failed me in elementary school. I did fail third grade. So 
It's always to come and to sow doubt. And then once he stops you with doubt, then comes the denial. You will not surely die. What message in this book does the enemy want you to doubt so that he can ultimately get you to deny it? What message is it? What's the real message that the enemy is after? I believe it's a simple one. It's a very simple one. As a matter of fact, John 10.10 says what the author of this book sent his son to do for us and what the enemy's been doing since the beginning of man's time on earth. John 10.10 says, and the thief is only there to and, and, and I came so that they can have what? Real and eternal. More and a better life than what? You see, oftentimes when we read that passage, we get to kill and destroy. But before the enemy can ever kill and destroy, he has to steal something. Everything the devil sends to you is not to kill you. Some of it is just to steal from you. And I believe that what the enemy has done is he has stolen the true perspective of the God of this book. What is the message of this book? And for what purpose was it written? And for what purpose did Christ come 2,000 years ago? What is it that he wants to steal You know what it is? That God loves you. Say that with me. God loves me. Can can I tell you something that might shock you? He not only loves you, he likes you. You ever heard two people that are married say that? Do you love me? Well, yeah. I don't like you most days, but I love you. The reality is God loves us. And it's that message, that is the message of the world that God sent the world 2,000 years ago wrapped up in a manger. But many people don't realize that. Why? Because the enemy wants to steal your perspective of the true Father who loves you. Why? Because as my dear friend Dr. Darius Daniels loves to say, you don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. You get the God you see. The first time I ever came to Crowley was 1979. Most of you here weren't even born. I spoke that year at Notre Dame High School. I spoke that year at Crowley High School. I went to Eunice High School. Back then in 1979, when I came through here to Crowley, and kids would come up to me, students, and they would say, tell me something, Jacob, what is God like? You know what I used to say? You're going to find this is crazy. When they would say, what is the God of this Bible like? You know what I would say to him? You know, he's like your father. Do you think I would ever say that now? Six out of ten children under 18 years of age wake up in the morning without their actual biological father in their home. And of the 40% who wake up with him there in that home, it doesn't mean that they're connected. It doesn't mean that they emotionally are, are united together, that their father knows where they are. It simply means they woke up in their home. Remember, 
before the enemy could ever steal the person of God, he had to first steal the perspective of God. The perspective of God. I, I know how it happened. I was, a, I was a casualty and a front row witness to it all. It was like a movie that played out in our society that began in the 70s and 80s when a generation of men who used to previously define masculinity by the fact that they sacrificed and served their wives and their family and wanted to give a better life to their children than they had themselves. And masculinity and success was no longer defined by I was giving my children a better opportunity than I had. I didn't go to high school, but my kids are going to finish. I didn't go to college, but my children are going to go. I didn't get a chance to get a, a degree, but my children are going to get one. I, 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 didn't, I didn't come from where my parents owned a home, but, but I'm going to own a home. My parents didn't have property, but, but I might just have a double wide and some acreage, but I'm going to have something my children can inherit. There was a time when men defined masculinity by giving their children a better life than they had. And then it became, forget what I leave for my children, you only live once. I remember the bumper sticker of the 80s very well. Here's what it said. I'm spending my children's inheritance. And most of them did, physically and spiritually. Physically and spiritually. And the enemy's design, the enemy's design at that moment was to take and to begin to distort the view that men, you and I have a title that's an awesome title. It's awesome in its privilege and it's awesome in its responsibility. Because once you bring a child into the world and participate in that process, then you and God begin to share the same title. You know what it is? Say it with me. Father. Why? Because at that point on earth, we're supposed to represent what he is in heaven. You know what we love about God? He never leaves us or forsakes us. You know what he loves about God? Even when you act a fool, he does it. You could tell God you don't believe in him. He doesn't look at you and go, I don't believe in you. You could say, God, I'm not going to serve you. And it never changes who he is. The Bible says he's good to the just and the unjust. That's what a father is to represent. But the enemy began to steal the perspective of the earthly father so that he could then steal the perspective of, say it loud, our heavenly father. Our heavenly father that deeply loves us. He has stolen the perspective of God. So pastor, what, what do we need to do now. I think the key is that we need to rediscover the love of God. In John chapter 3, verse 10, a conversation picks up between a religious leader, very religious leader, a teacher of the Jews. And it says this, and Jesus answered Nicodemus, Aren't you a respected teacher in Israel and yet you don't understand this revelation? I speak to you eternal truths, things that, say this with me, 
I know and things that I've seen and experienced. And still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you in the what? Natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? Now listen to what Jesus says. No one has risen to the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who exists in heaven. And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica on a snake pole for all people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Let me explain that because some of you were with me till we got to the snake and the brass pole and you went, whoa. Whoa, hold up, hold up, Pastor. What are you talking about? How many of you remember when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? Okay, how many of you at least remember when Charlton Heston brought them out of Egypt? <laughs> and and when they were walking through the Red Sea and then they went for 40 years into the wilderness, one of the areas they went through in the wilderness, there were snakes that were biting people and they were dying. And people were crying out to God and to Moses. And God told Moses, he said, take a rod and put a brass snake around it. Make one and hold it up. And while people look to it, instead of dying, they'll be healed. That was an Old Testament prophetic picture. Because the first prophetic scripture given about Jesus was that he would crush the head of Satan but Satan would bruise his heel. And so when they held that snake up, that was a prophetic picture thousands of years later of the Son of God who would be held up so that as men looked to him, just as they looked at that snake and they were healed, so when we looked to him lifted up on the cross, we're saved and we're healed. That's what that means. And then it says this, verse 16, for this is, say it loud, how much, say it with me, how much? This is how much God loved the world. He gave his and unique son as, say it loud, louder. I love that. How many of you got a gift for Christmas? Raise your hand. You know what the difference is between a gift and a reward? A reward you earn. A gift you don't earn. Somebody bought it and gave it to you. Many of you grew up in a background where you thought salvation was a reward. It's not a reward. It's a gift. If it's a reward, there's something you have to do to earn it. If it's a gift, there's nothing you can do to earn it. All you can do is graciously and thankfully receive it. Salvation is a gift. As a gift... So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience what? Now let's read this together. God did not send his son into the world to, and, but to be its, and. Why did God send a baby 2,000 years ago? What is the message of this book? What is it? This has been so distorted in this book that people think Christianity is the most divisive and, and hateful and fractional thing there is. The reason they believe that is because we've allowed the perspective of God through man on earth to be distorted and destroyed so that now people believe that the very one who loves them is the very one who hates them. 
God sent his son to the world to give us a better life than we ever dreamed of, as the translation says we read in John 10, 10. A better life than we ever dreamed of. Let me ask you something. If I went through the mall of Acadiana, and there's at least a few stores still left. Sears is closed, but there's a few left. And I started interviewing people and said, well, what do you think that God wants for you? How many of you think that they would say, he wants to give me a better life than I've ever dreamed of? How many would say that? Answer me. Why? Because the perspective of God was stolen so that the person of God could be stolen. Jesus came on a rescue mission to restore God's plan back to man, and that is to give us a better life than we ever, ever dreamed of. Now, who is the person that said this? Most of you know this scripture by memory. John 3. Okay, how many of you know that scripture by memory? All right, how many of you know by memory? Okay, don't put the cheat sheet up there. Don't put it up on the screen. Okay, I don't want y'all to act like, oh, I know that. Okay, here we go. For God so that he, that whoever would not but have John. Okay, who said that? John recorded it, but the person that said it was Jesus. It wasn't John. It was Jesus. Why is that so significant, Pastor Jacob? Because Jesus was one with the Father. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And those three are all one. Those three are all one. It was Jesus that said it. Who said John 3.16? Who said John 3.16? Who said, for God so loved the world? Who said that he came to rescue it? Here's the second thing. It's the perspective that he had. It's the perspective that he had. I was at our church in Destin, Florida. If you've ever been to San Destin, go there to Destiny Worship Center. Pastor Steve Legalis is an amazing pastor. His two sons are on staff with him. I preached there about a month ago, and we had a Saturday night service and several services on Sunday, and his two sons took me out to eat dinner. Now, it's interesting because one of them is named Stephen after his father, and he looks nothing like his father. He looks like his mother. And the other one, okay, he acts like his father, though. And the younger one looks like a Mexican. I, I call him Julio. He thinks I don't know his name. His name is Victor, but I call him Julio because every time I look at him, I want to speak Spanish. And so, so, so I look, I'm, I'm looking at him, and we're going out to eat dinner, and they're talking about different things they're doing in additions and new churches that they're opening up. And so the funny thing is the older son is the senior associate. He doesn't look like his daddy, but he acts like him. The younger son looks like his daddy, and he has all of the same facial features. So everything that his daddy, his daddy goes, Phew. he was just going, Phew. I mean, every, every, just, I'm looking, and so I'm watching the namesake here and looking at the person here. It was weird. It was kind of like he wasn't there, but he was there. 
And throughout this whole conversation, I would go, well, well when are y'all going to do this? And, and Stephen would say, well, Pastor, you know my daddy. And then I'd look over at his younger son, Victor, and he'd go, just like his daddy does. And so I'm looking at them. And every time we'd have a conversation, they would respond to me exactly what their father would do. Why? Because those boys were experts in knowing their father. Jesus was with the father from the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning forever. And when Jesus came, he came on a rescue mission and he came sent from the father and no one knew more. And that's why he said, I speak to you about things that I know of, that I've seen, and that I've heard. Why? Because there's only one person that ever came from heaven. Who was it? It was Jesus. Everybody else came from earth. He's the only one that ever came from heaven. And so it was Jesus who was saying then, it was Jesus who was saying then, I know what my daddy's like. I know what he really thinks. I know how he feels about you. And when he sent me, he didn't send me to condemn you. He didn't send me to judge you. He sent me on a rescue mission to tell you that he's got a better life for you than you've ever dreamed of or imagined. That's why he sent me. You see, that's the purpose for which he came. He came to rescue the world. He came on a rescue mission. Now, let me just say something to you that is a little theological, but I'm going to make it easy so that we can all understand it because I'm not very theologically brilliant. God doesn't live in time. Say that with me. God does not live in time. Okay, how many have ever said this? Well, God knows. How many have ever said that? Well, when is God going to answer? Well, God knows especially when you talk to an older saint. They were young and impetuous, and they would go, God, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And he would just do it like old Brother King used to say from First Assembly in Lafayette, who began actually most of the spiritual churches in this whole region. He used to say, God's never late, but he sure misses a lot of opportunities to be early. He's right on time. He knows exactly what time. God doesn't live in time. You see, there's the past, the present, and the future, and God lives above them all. This week, we buried my sister-in-law. She was 49 years old. And a woman of God. She went to be with the Lord in her husband's arms. In her husband's arms. He went from the arms of her husband to the arms of her heavenly father. I looked at her six months ago and she said to me, Jacob, if I had to either be completely healed, never have cancer, or have the revelation of Jesus that God has given me in the last four years, I'd choose cancer every time. Swallow that one a while. 
And even in the last days and hours of her life, her body was frail, but she was beaming. The Shekinah, the glory of God, shone upon her. You see, her days were numbered by God. Your days are numbered by God. Jesus was the Son of God. His days were numbered by His Father. 33. 33. You see, God lives above time, past, present, and future. So even though you're going through something and you don't know the future, does God know it? Why? Because He doesn't live in time. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us all of this? Because I want to tell you about a conversation that happened in heaven. Matter of fact, Genesis records it, where God says, let us make man in our own image. Who is he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the, Father, the Son, and he's talking to the Holy Spirit. He says, let us make man in our own image. And don't let that confuse you. You're three-part two, body, soul, and spirit. You live in your body. You have a soul. That's your mind, will, and emotions, and you are spirit. That's the part of you that's going to live forever. And God said, I'm going to make a man. Let us make him in our image. And the Holy Spirit said, Father, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You want to make a man? What's a man? I'm going to breathe into the dust of the earth, and when I breathe into the dust of the earth, I'm going to make him. And I'm going to have fellowship with him. And I'm going to know him. And like we're spirit, he's going to be spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, Father, do you remember the last time you made something? You made angels. Remember them? And you gave them a free will. And, and, and do, you, do you remember when you gave them a free will? Do you remember that you made one of them was so beautiful? He had musical instruments in his creation, and he, he was at the throne, and, and he led the angels in worship to you. And then because the angels were facing him, he thought, they were worshiping him and not you. And one day he thought he was God. And he fell, Father. Do you remember? You, you had to create a place for him called hell. Do you know that hell was never created for people? The Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. It was never created for people. That's why it later goes on to say hell has enlarged itself. It's enlarged. It was never created for people. And so he said, Father, do, do, do you remember that, that, that you created him? And that one-third of them fell with him? And you had to cast them from heaven? And they're eternally separated from you? Father, what if man turns away from you? Well, what if he does what the angels did? Well, what will you do then? And the father said, well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let them know how much I love them. 
He said, well, how will you do that? He said, well, I'll, 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 I'll bring them back to myself. He said, well, how will you do that? He said, well, I'll. And Jesus said, Father, I'll go. Can you imagine all of heaven when Jesus said that? What? I'll go, Father. And and I'll become a... Not a man. Not a man. A baby. God, who needs nothing and no one, became a baby. The most helpless, dependent form of human life there is. You can't change yourself. You can't feed yourself. You can't turn yourself. You can't clothe yourself. You can't warm or soothe yourself. God... Who needs nothing? Became a baby. And then he said, Father, I'll submit to a 14-year-old peasant girl. And my father, I'll make sure that he's a carpenter. Because wood's going to play a big part of my life. So I'll begin as a child fashioning and shaping and being accompanied and having intimate knowledge with wood. And then, then I'll die for them on that wood. And Father, I will rescue them, to show them how much you love them, to show them how much you can. I will rescue them to give them a better life than they ever dreamed of. You say, Pastor, do you really believe that conversation happened in heaven? It's in the Bible. Can I read it to you? Can I read it to you? I'm going to ask one more time. Here it is. 1 Peter 18 through 20, listen to what it says. For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile ways of life handed down from generation to generation. It was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb was sacrificed for us. This was part of, read it with me, God's plan, for he was, and before the, Before you were ever born, he committed to be slain, to rescue you. That's the message of Christmas. And that's the message of Christ. For God so, Jesus says, let me tell you, my father so loved you that he sent me his one and only unique son 
on a mission to rescue you because he knew that you would sin. So before the foundations of the world, I was slain to redeem and ransom and rescue you. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of this book. What amazing love. 